Welcome into another episode of Testudo Times Podcast on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Ostry, alongside Ben Dixon. Ben, how are you today? Doing well, doing well. Ready to get uh, going here. Yeah, so this is going to be a spring sports update podcast. We're going to talk about a lot of different spring sports. We're going to have a couple guests on. Um, We're going to start with Maryland football. Obviously, not a spring sport, but they just finished up their spring practices, which culminated in the um, spring game, the red-white game, where the red team, which was Talia Tagovailoa and his um, first-team offense and the second-team defense. They played against the white team, which was second-team offense and the first-team defense. And the red team won 14-3. to Not a lot of scoring. Most of the scoring happened in the first quarter or so. But there were some takeaways from it. Um, ben, what did you see in that spring game we were at this past Saturday? Yeah, the game outside the first couple drives was uh, pretty uh, unremarkable, more or less. Um, had a few takeaways on that the day of. Uh, my biggest one has to be Jacob Copeland, the Florida transfer, uh, their leading receiver from last year, coming in, really making an impact on Maryland when we talked to him a few weeks ago at open practice. He said he could have gone other places to be the guy. He wanted to come to Maryland to be with the guys and with all the guys. So that loaded wide receiver room of him, Dante Demas, or Kim Jarrett, and Jay Sean Jones went all healthy. Could be very lethal. The defense will have to pick their poison in that sense. And just to see Talia hooking up with uh, Jacob Copeland early in that spring game, Terp fans will love to see that, uh, a connection that was fortunate for Maryland to build throughout the spring and will only improve heading into the fall as the veteran players report at the end of May and the the freshmen come in the second week in June. Um, Other than that, uh, from the spring game, not too much. I'm happy we we both got our award voting right, two for two, uh, voting for, um, excuse me, Jacob Copeland as the spring game MVP and Amal McCullough as the I guess lineman of the spring, yeah, which, is it, in, which is interesting because he's an outside linebacker. Yeah, they but, called it lineman of the game, but they gave they gave you the option to vote for linebacker, so we both voted for Ahmad McCullough. Um, it was great. Yeah, let's talk about Ahmad McCullough and get back to the receiver room for a second. But um, you know, I think he had five or six tackles or something. He was he showed flashes of what he can be in a linebacker room that isn't the strong suit of this Maryland football team. You know, last year they were not a good rush defense at all. Teams would run all over them game after game, especially some of the top teams in the Big Ten. They really need to shore up that linebacker room, and he can be a part of that stepping into a big role this year. Yeah, I mean, at, at least providing depth at the minimum, right? Because that's, that's what you want to see from a guy like him kind of emerge here in his red shirt senior year, um, add something at the end of his college career. But surely the, the linebacker room does need a lot of help with uh, – Robinson leaving, Brandon Jennings leaving, Terrence Lewis never suiting up for Maryland. The defense took a big hit in the transfer portal and obviously NIL, which we'll, we'll get into throughout the uh, the offseason in this season, may have had something to do with that more and less. But to see a guy like McCullough, uh, Wiley veteran, kind of make an impact in the spring game, his leadership at a minimum will be helpful to that defense. Yeah, absolutely. And let's go back to the offense for a minute. Um, we know Talia Tagovailo is the guy. Um, he put up phenomenal numbers last year. Turn, his turnover rate was down a little bit other than that Iowa game where he had six interceptions, I believe, five interceptions, something like that. Um, he really didn't turn the ball over too much. He took a huge jump. Everyone expects him to take another jump heading into his third season as a starting quarterback for Maryland. But let's talk about his wide receiver. You mentioned Jacob Koblin, who showed flashes and signs of, you know, everyone heard about him. Maryland fans heard about him. as He was the top guy at Florida. He comes over in the transfer portal, and he, you see his numbers. You hear about what he can be. He has been dominating in spring practice. This was the first time they got to see his explosiveness and the connection between him and Talia. And the other thing about the wide receiver room is Deshaun Jones didn't play. He was coming back from season-end injury last season. Dante Demas didn't play. He was coming back from a season-ending injury last season. And Rakim Jarrett, um, who's also going to be a starting wide receiver for them this year, he didn't play in the spring game. So that wide receiver room is loaded. So when you don't, when Jacob Copeland doesn't need to be the guy, it's going to put so mu- put so much less pressure on him. It's going to put pre- less pressure on Dante Demas when the, all the attention isn't on him when he comes back. We don't know exactly when he's going to return. If it's going to be before the first week of the season or maybe once this after the season starts a little bit. We're not sure about that because he's still recovering from from a bad injury last season. But the, how, like the depth of this wide receiver room, how much is going to help this offense and Talia as a whole? 
It's incredible, and and I think the word depth is important there because you have four guys who can be star receivers, obviously working their way back through injury. It's really good to see, you know, Demas wearing the uniform on Saturday, even though he didn't play, taking major steps forward, no boot or anything uh, on his leg to inhibit him. But the depth is is huge. I mean, you know what you can get on those four guys on any given night, given, you know, between Jarrett Jones and Demas, what they've given you in their Maryland career, and then Jacob Copeland, what you saw in the spring, what he did in the SEC at Florida. Just a no-brainer what he's going to bring. I think a part that might be a little overlooked is the depth that Maryland was able to build at that position. You know, with Demas and Jones out, you're allowed to get some more reps for some guys during spring practices. Obviously, Jones did practice a little bit in the spring. Demas, not so much. But a guy like Ty Felton, who the coaching staff is really excited about, kind of got to emerge a little bit this spring with those guys out. Only a sophomore. Expect him to maybe make some contributions as, as the fifth receiver, potentially. And then a guy like Corey Deitches, who's a tight end, but was able to get some work in that receiver room due to injuries this spring. He's going to be a, a really big threat at, at, at tight end. Not necessarily the same mold, but maybe the same type of thing that you know Evan Ingram's doing with the New York Giants, where he's listed as a tight end, but yeah. he's a really big receiving weapon. I think him and uh, uh, Tugavaloa are going to become a really big connection this this spring yeah, so, and heading into the fall. So there's weapons all over, and something that they struggled with last year was their off the consistency of their offensive line, specifically with discipline and penalties. You know, a lot of times they would get into red zone situations and or important situations, and they would get into they would have a penalty and it would put them in a worse position. Also, Talia was scrambling for his life a lot, but now this this is a veteran offensive line group. They've taken a step together. They've been with their quarterback now for a few years, some of them. And you look at Spencer Anderson, Jalen Duncan, Mason Lunsford, all those guys are veteran guys who are, who are really can be dominant offensive linemen in the Big Ten. How important is it now that Talia and his offensive line have that connection and just the offensive line being intact and maybe more disciplined moving forward? Oh, it is. It's absolutely huge. Uh, Coach Locksley was talking about building, you know, those two offensive lines this spring, and that that's what they were able to do. He feels really comfortable with a lot of guys and a lot of different combinations playing in that offensive line. Talked to Spencer Anderson after the spring game on Saturday. He said for him, obviously, he's going to be a mainstay at that, that offensive line at tackle, but it's good to have those combinations, and I really feel comfortable playing with no matter who it is. Um, and Mason Lunsford didn't play in the in the spring game, but nothing wrong with him uh, for the team. Just just maybe, maybe a little tweaked up, but nothing nothing too serious there in terms of why he didn't play on Saturday. But the offensive line has a chance to be really really good this year. Um, an area where you know when Maryland made the move to the Big Ten and for the past years it has been a little bit questionable whether it be discipline, whether it just be raw talent on the offensive line and development of you know building that offensive line because the trenches matter in the Big Ten more than a lot of, more than it did in the ACC. And hopefully this is the year where for Maryland where they start to see that. Yeah, uh, and part of that trend and part of the trench is not just to help Talia, it's to help the running back room in the run game because obviously it's gonna be a pass first offense. We know that. They're gonna be pass heavy. They have great weapons on the outside. They have a great quarterback. But you know, this running game is is very inexperienced. And if you have those guys up front who can help um push that, I mean, you'll you'll have more success with the run game. So let's talk about this run game a little bit. Um, Antoine Littleton didn't play in the, he's a redshirt freshman, he didn't play in the spring game because of a little injury, nothing serious apparently. Uh, Chalen Famatu did, but he left, he was injured before the game, and he left the game early on, I believe in the first quarter, did not return. But Roman Hemby and Colby McDonald got the majority of the carries each, and we saw them have some big runs. Roman Hemby broke out for a touchdown run. Colby McDonald got a lot of carries, and he had some good production. It was the spring game, of course, we recognize that, but you know, it's probably going to be a, a committee approach to the run game but who do you see like breaking out out of these young guys to be maybe the guy kind of like Tayon Fleet Davis was last year for that running back room yeah it is really interesting I think uh for Maryland fans when you think back a lot of years ago when when kind of Todd Johnson or Lorenzo Harrison a bunch of guys could just hit you with with different sort of aspects from that running back room and I think this room could be a, a little bit similar this year you I to me I think Roman Hemby and Colby McDonald are probably the two guys where as we saw in the spring game can really break out for really impressive year Colby was impressive in times uh, last year during his freshman season and Roman Hemby obviously impressive in the first half of the spring game I think those are two really dynamic young backs that can help in different facets of the, of the game Colby obviously had a big game on the ground but he also uh, helped in the passing game on uh, on Saturday as well with um, how, how many yards out of the backfield uh, 
52 receiving out of the backfield. Like, yeah. That's, that, so that's a pretty big deal. another weapon there, too, for Talia. I mean, oh. any any assurance he can get is, is going to be better. Yeah, 153 yards uh, in total for McDonald on Saturday, which is just huge. I think those two guys are probably the names to look out for. Uh, Littleton, the classic ground-and-pound guy, obviously six foot 285. I think the staff loves uh, Challenge leadership, uh, even though he got hurt. Uh, hopefully nothing too serious for him. Uh, didn't seem like it because Loxley said he was dealing with a lower body injury heading into the game. And then there's uh, there's some other guys coming in too. Um, obviously freshmen who, who Loxley is looking forward to making an impact, or looking forward for them to make an impact, excuse me, this fall with Ramon Brown. Uh, they flipped him from Virginia Tech, really highly tattered freshman guy. So maybe he can make his mark in the room. There's a lot to be excited about. Colby McDonald told me he's he's confident about it uh, after Saturday's game. Um, maybe some uncertainty of who's going to star, but I think that, that might not be a bad thing for Maryland here. Yeah, so there's obviously a lot of questions still. This this team is not finalized in terms of who is gonna, who's going to get the majority of the reps at certain positions. But like Ben said earlier, um, they're off for about a month, and then the veterans are going to report back at the end of May, and then the rest of the team in the beginning, beginning of June. So we'll continue to cover this Maryland football team throughout the summer. And, of course, when the season comes and, and through this through this podcast, we'll have a lot more to talk about. But now we're going to go into a real spring sport that's taking place right now, uh, Maryland women's lacrosse. We're going to talk about Maryland men's lacrosse a little bit later with our beat writer, Emmett. But we're going to talk about Maryland, Maryland women's lacrosse right now. And they're the number one overall seed in the Big Ten tournament, which opens up this Friday. If they make if they win that, they'll play in the Big Ten championship on Sunday. And then they'll go to the NCAA tournament. This is a phenomenal team that Kathy Reese has put together this season after a down year last year. So they're going to play Johns Hopkins. Interesting enough, Maryland men's lacrosse also playing Johns Hopkins in the first round as um, in the Big Ten tournament. But they're going to play Johns Hopkins this this weekend. What makes them? What makes this Maryland women's lacrosse team so special, especially because they had a down year last year and they've completely turned it around. And they're one of the teams to beat in the entire country when they're going to en- enter the NCAA tournament in a few weeks. It really is remarkable. I mean, 15-1, and one, especially after the down year last year. Tough loss at home to, to James Madison on March 26th. But to rattle off a bunch of straight wins like that, and not even just wins, just really just beating up on really good competition. They beat number two Northwestern by six, number 21 Michigan on the road by five, number 12 Princeton on the road by 10, uh, number 20 Johns Hopkins on the road by 11. This is a really, really good lacrosse team. And I'll give you two names as a reason why. Uh, Aurora accordingly, she's special, fourth in the nation in points per game, making it happen, scoring goals, making plays for her teammates. She's just an all-around superstar, and, and it's awesome to see her play. And another reason is goaltending. You know, to win a national championship in lacrosse, you got to have good goaltending. And Emily Sterling, uh, the junior, she leads not just the Big Ten, not just Maryland, but the entire country in safe percentage and goals against average. She's a special player in net, and she could take Maryland to, to a championship run. Why not? Yeah, I was going to mention the defense because their defense has been phenomenal in recent games, limiting some of the best offenses, not just in the Big Ten, but in the entire country. And the defense as a whole is good, but that's a lot because Emily Sterling, who's one of the best goalkeepers in the entire nation. Let's preview this Big Ten tournament real real quick. Uh, Maryland plays Johns Hopkins. They played them earlier this year. They beat them. If they win that game, we'll have they'll either play Northwestern or Rutgers. You know, Maryland Northwestern earlier this year was one of those games that Maryland circled on their schedule because last year Northwestern beat Maryland three times on the season. Maryland had that game against Northwestern circled on April 23rd. It was the second to last game of the regular season. They could clinch a share of the Big Ten um, regular season title if they won it and they did. They beat Northwestern in in a phenomenal fashion in a rematch but now if they make it to the Big Ten championship and so does Northwestern it'll be the one two matchup. Will they be able to repeat and have the same dominant performance against Northwestern and, and win the Big Ten Big Ten tournament? It's an interesting point about Maryland having that game circled on their calendar after losing all those games to Northwestern last year. I think on the flip side, now Northwestern's the one who's had this potential matchup in the championship uh, circled since that, you know, it was not not that competitive of a loss at Maryland on April 23rd. Uh, I think another thing to, to look out for is Rutgers being at home, even though they're the three seed, could make some noise on their home field. Um but I do think Maryland wins this tournament. Um, I just think they have all the pieces going. And, and just, just the way they've performed against good teams outside of the, the James Madison loss, these wins have been emphatic. I mean, mm-hmm. they're beating teams by four goals at minimum who are ranked. Yeah. It, it's it's really unbelievable. And, and Kathy Reese has a really, really awesome thing going right now. And it seems like this is a team that could really win the national title this year. Yep. I mean, we talk about John Tillman, the program 
uh, the lacrosse program he's been on the men's side, but Kathy Reese has done a phenomenal job. She's a legend. Everyone knows it. And you always trust her in the postseason um, when she needs to get her team ready to play. You can always trust her and count on her. So it'll be interesting to see how they perform in the Big Ten tournament. And then after the Big Ten tournament in, in a week or so after, it'll be the NCAA tournament. We'll see how far they go, if they can compete for a national title. All right, now we're going to get to our men's lacrosse beat writer, Emmett. And we're going to talk some Maryland men's lacrosse because they also have the Big Ten tournament coming up this Thursday. We now welcome on a very special guest, our Maryland men's lacrosse beat writer and reporter, Emmett Siegel. Emmett, how are you doing today? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So obviously the regular season for Maryland men's lacrosse is up. They are entering the Big Ten tournament. And then after that, the NCAA tournament. So postseason play is upon us. They've gone undefeated in the regular season. They had a lot of expectation coming into this season, as they did last year. Last year, they were undefeated in the regular season, too, and then they lost to Virginia in the NCAA championship, but they did capture. Um, but, yeah, they, they went all the way. They lost in the NCAA championship this season. They're also undefeated in the regular season. We'll see how they perform in the postseason. But, Evan, my first question to you is, what makes this group so special that they're the number one team in all of college across and they're the clear favorites heading into the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament? Well, I mean, it's kind of, I guess, an obvious answer, but they just have great players at every position. There's really no holes in this team. I mean, we saw it with the uh, Big Ten awards that just came out. Offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, specialist of the year, coach of the year. The only one they didn't win was freshman of the year. That's really just because the team is too loaded to have any freshmen really get any uh, noticeable playing time. So, I mean, they have great players, all American candidates all over the field. Um, they got arguably the best player um, in the big 10 at almost every position. Um, and, you know, the big 10 this year uh, has been really, really good. Um, probably the second or third best conference in the country. So they've been tested. Um, this is no uh, sort of, you know, cakewalk schedule. Uh, they've really been uh, challenged in this non-conference schedule um, and they blew through everyone. I mean, we're talking about teams like Notre Dame, Virginia, um, et cetera, that were ranked in the top 10 or still are ranked in the top 10 or top five. Um, so they've just really been impressive in almost every facet of the game so far. And I mean, you talk about, you know, all these great players and Maryland, obviously pretty much sweeping the big 10 season awards. But one guy who's obviously very special, the next in line and wearing that number one jersey is Logan Wisnowskis. Can you kind of tell us uh, in your eyes what's made him click this season, what's made him so good and, you know, the leader of this team? Well, uh, Logan's a very uh, – Coach Toman always likes to talk to him or talk about him, I should say, as a professional. Um, he doesn't get caught up in any sort of media hype or anything like that. He's just all about his craft. Um, interesting story, actually, when he uh, broke the uh, all-time points record at Maryland. Uh, this is just kind of indicative of the kind of player he is. Um, the ball from when he got that assist, um, our SID, Josh Schmidt, tried to give him the ball after the game, and he didn't even want it. They had to give it to Coach Tillman to give to his mom to give to him because he refused to have it because he just doesn't care about any of that stuff. Um, he's just like a team-first player. Um He's willing to dish it out, but he's also the team's best goal scorer. Um, he's just such a dynamic and reliable player that he never really makes a big mistake. He's never trying to be flashy. He's just trying to do his job. He's really, really good at it. And his frame also, he's a, he, he can kind of overpower opponents a lot of the time. And that's to go with the fact that he has a wicked shot that, you know, he can hit the top corner from anywhere on the field. It's an interesting story you tell about Logan. Obviously, it seems like a lot of the players who come to Maryland to play lacrosse and then who graduate from Maryland, um, Maryland lacrosse, a lot of those guys have that same mantra of incredibly selfless guys and all they care about is, is winning and team play. And, and John Tillman obviously instills that in a lot of them. Can you just talk about John Tillman? Obviously, he's one of the greatest. He's certainly one of the greatest co uh, coaches in college lacrosse right now, maybe in the last generation. Um, can you just talk about what makes T uh, John Tillman such a great coach? Um, well, he's a great X's and O's coach, but I think that his best quality is that he's established a really, really good culture that has carried on from um, coaches of the past that have coached in Maryland and had a lot of success. I mean, the whole be the best mantra, um, you know, that was started in the 1970s with Coach Beardmore. Um, it's, it's a real thing. It's not just a, a saying. Um, you know, these guys all buy into his, to his words. They, they listen to what he says. They're willing to do what he says and, and take a step back to, um, to help the team, even if it means 
sacrificing individual accolades. I mean, I think a good uh, example of that is uh, fifth year Bubba Fairman. Uh, he was one of the leading scorers on the team last year. Um, and then this year they get a bunch of transfers and he's willing to move to a more defensive role, which isn't as flashy, but he's willing to do it because he thinks it's going to help the team. And there's guys like him all over this team. Um, and I, I think uh, Tillman is just a really good motivator. Uh, he's really good at keeping his, his team focused. Um, there's so much hype with this team that they're hearing at every press conference. I always am trying to avoid the jinx, but you know, the national reporters are coming in saying, this is the best team ever and all this stuff. Um, they're not even bothered by it. And I think that 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 starts from Tillman and works its way down uh, to the assistants, and then to the the senior leadership, and then down to the younger guys as well. It really right. is. Go ahead. Incredible then. Uh, culture. Just wanted to, to step in here, Sam, real quick. Um, you talk about kind of from the top down and just the talented players and all that. It seems in in the past with some of these years where they've kind of run the table and lost. It's been where they've played a team with an elite faceoff guy. And now Maryland, it seems like, kind of has one in Luke Weirman, and they're not getting dominated on faceoffs anymore. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, his rise and how he's come to, you know, dominate possessions here for Maryland? Well, that was a, a decent question mark coming into the season. Um, even at media day, Coach Tom was being asked, you know, what's the deal with the faceoffs? You know, they lose Shockey. Um, so, they're, you know, Luke Weirman has to be the guy this year, and they were talking about stepping or him stepping in um, and becoming that guy, that primary option. Um, and he's just excelled. He's been, I would argue, the best face-off guy in the entire country this year. Um, and that's not just because he's winning face-offs at an incredible rate, which he is. I think he has the second highest face-off winning percentage of anyone in the country. But he's also great at uh, passing the ball after. He's very athletic. He can score goals. Um, he's just overall a great player that's doing so much for this team. Um, and, and he's just an overall athlete that, that changes the game so much. And you know, with an offense as good as Maryland's, um, you know, getting the ball a couple extra times is going to make a big difference. All right, now I want to preview the Big Ten tournament coming up here this weekend. So on Thursday, Maryland's going to take on uh, Johns Hopkins, a rematch of that rivalry in the Big Ten semifinals Thursday at 530. They played Johns Hopkins er earlier this year. They dominated them, won 22 to 7. It was actually the last time they played. It was the last regular season game of the year. You know a lot about that rivalry. You wrote a great story about the rivalry between Johns Hopkins and Maryland. What's going to be the key for Maryland to have to repeat such a dominant performance like they pulled off a couple weeks ago? I mean, I think it's just going to be play their game. I mean, the reality is that there's no one that Maryland has played this season and nobody that they're going to play that is going to be able to beat them, <clears throat> excuse me, if they are playing at the top of their game. Uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, they're going to be motivated. You know, they, they that was their worst loss in – you know, the hundred plus year history of their program uh, against Maryland and definitely the worst loss in that rivalry. But, um, you know, if Maryland can come out and just stay focused, I know they've had a week off. Um, hopefully that doesn't make them too rusty. Uh, then they're going to get the job done. Um, but as I said, Hopkins is going to, you know, give it their all. They're trying to extend their season. They're not going to go to the tournament unless they win the big 10 tournament. Um, so, you know, they're going to be playing for a lot more than Maryland, which is realistically, um, you know, you want to win the big 10 championship, but they're going to be the number one seed in the NCAA tournament, no matter what happens. Um, so it's just about staying focused. And I definitely don't worry about that with the John Tillman coach team. And then the next matchup, if they win that, the champion Big Ten championship would be on Saturday, and they'd play either Rutgers or Ohio State. They beat both Rutgers and Ohio State earlier this season, but they kind of struggled a little bit early. They were tested a little bit early against both those teams. Talk about who would be the more favorable matchup and what could we expect to see in that Big Ten championship game? Well, I think Rutgers is probably the more talented team. I think they're the team that um, if both those teams are able to make it to the NCAA tournament, which is definitely still on the table, um, I think that Rutgers would be the team that most people would pick to go farther in that tournament. Um, but that being said, Ohio State gave them a tougher game. I mean, against Rutgers, that was a top three or four matchup, and the game was essentially over 10 minutes in, um, which has been a theme this season. You know, the game is essentially over at the end of the first quarter. Um Ohio State, that definitely wasn't the case. They were down, or Maryland was down, I think, four goals in the second quarter. Um, that was their biggest deficit all year. Um, and that, obviously, Ohio State made it really difficult for them. But that was also because they, they weren't playing their best game. Uh, they looked a little sloppy at times. Um, I wouldn't expect that in a uh, Big Ten championship game when there's, you know, a conference title on the line. Um, so I think that I would say Ohio State would probably be a more favorable matchup, but I don't want to give anyone any sort of bulletin board material here. They're both great teams. Um, 
And I think that whoever they get, it's going to be a tough challenge, but you know, I would, I would expect them to come out firing in a game like that. Yeah, that Ohio State game was really crazy early on in the regular season. It was kind of the one game where Maryland looked like a mortal team, and then they just turned it up and uh, just killed them as of late. But I'm kind of curious with this tournament being at home at Maryland, has there been any chatter about, you know, how special that experience could be to, you know, raise another championship on their home field before the NCAA tournament? Definitely. I think that's especially a thing for a lot of the older guys that, you know, didn't get an opportunity to play their full um, home schedule in 2020. Uh, last year, they didn't get a chance to play any non-conference games um, at home. I think that that's a big thing that they're just excited to get another shot to play at Maryland Stadium and to, you know, kind of close out their careers uh, at home. And also, I mean, you know, the, the players talk about it all the time that they love the fan support they have. Uh, they believe it's the best fan support in the country. Um, and having that crowd behind you uh, can do nothing but but excite you and 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 make you uh, even more motivated to go out there and play. So, I mean, I think that it's a huge motivating factor and you definitely don't want to lose, you know, a, a elimination game at home, you know, that you definitely don't want to see another team uh, celebrating on your field. So I think that's, you know, some extra motivation, especially for the older guys and for the younger guys, it's exciting. You know, you get to go out there in front of your own fans and, and get to play for a trophy. All right. My last question, unless Ben has more, but after the big 10 tournament, Let's assume they win it um, because they're the clear on favorites to win it, not to jinx anything, but they are the favorites and assume they win it. will be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Last year they were two or they, they were undefeated in the regular season. They go to the NCAA tournament. They lose in the championship game. And as great as Maryland's program has been, and as great as Maryland lacrosse has been under John Tillman, they haven't had a great track record in championship games. They, everyone expects them to get to the championship game. What's going to be different about this team this year round where they, they can lift the trophy on Memorial Day, which they haven't been able to do in a few years? Well, I think the reality is that what it's going to take is it's going to take luck as well as skill. Um, nobody just wins a championship just by blowing through everyone. They're going to get tested. And that's what I'm, I'm interested to see, whether it's in the Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament, whatever it is. I would be shocked if this team isn't, you know, in a situation they're down, say, two goals, three minutes left, they have to go find someone to get a goal, get a big play. Um, I'm interested to see how they'd respond in that situation. But um, I think just what makes this team different is they've been tested a lot more than they were last season, uh, specifically referring to last season. Um, I think a lot of people attributed Virginia's uh, tournament run last year and being able to beat Maryland to the fact that they played that ACC grind um, and they, they had, you know, played in a lot more high stakes games. That was definitely not the case this year. Maryland has been able to play top team, uh, top teams all season long. I think they've played six of the top 11 or five of the top 11 teams in the country. Um, so I think, you know, that's, that's a big difference. And also experience. I mean, a lot of this team returns from last year. They have guys that know what it's like to lose in the championship game, and they don't want to taste that feeling again. They've been using that as a motivational factor all season long, and they're just so set on getting back to where they were and exceeding that level that, you know, I would, I, I don't expect them to, to let anything get in their way. And just last one for me, uh, Sam kind of took the words of my mouth a little bit there, but that chip on the shoulder mentality, that championship game last year, the ultimate heartbreak winning the face off with the, the chance to, you know, send it to overtime. And just like that season's over undefeated out the window, but this program has been so dominant in the past, past few years with no national championships to show for it. How has that mentality kind of played out this season in your eyes covering the team all year? And how will that continue, you know, moving forward? Well, I think that, you know, Coach Tillman is, is definitely a realist. Um, you know, he said before that in college across, there's no NIT, there's no other tournaments. Um, it's the NCAA tournament and your conference tournaments. And every single team except for one is going to end their season on a loss. That's just how it's going to work. Um, so, you know, losing in the championship game, um, you know, it's hard. It definitely sucks uh, for the players. You could argue it's a lot worse than, than losing early. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I think that um, it's hard to say that uh, it's all been, you know, there's something wrong that they've been losing in the championship game because of something. I think a lot of it's just bad luck. Um, I think a lot of it is that they just ran into a great team. You do all the time in the tournament. And this year's team, uh, they're as good as anyone in the country. Um, and, you know, there's no reason that they'll get uh, they'll, they'll face anyone that will have more talent than them. Um, so, you know, as long as they go out there, as long as they, you know, year after year, not even just year, this year, but, you know, years in the future, as long as they just go out there and they just stick to the system, they play their game. 
they're going to have a lot of success. And the best way to win the championship game is to play in it as many times as you can. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to the tournament this year. Um, you know, I'm hoping that they can make a run this year, but even if they don't, you know, there's been so many great memories to take from this year, um, from past years as well. And, you know, but, but once again, hopefully, hopefully this is the team that does it. Um, there was over 40 years between 1975 and 2017. And I'm hoping that it's a lot shorter between 2017 and the next title. Yeah, well, we'll be following along. We know all the Maryland fans will be following along um, and they hope to see on Memorial Day this Maryland, this iteration of Maryland men's lacrosse raise that national championship. And you can follow Emmett's coverage on Testudo Times. Um, you can follow him on all social medias. He's doing a phenomenal job covering the team and, and he'll be there through the very end, whenever that end is. Emmett, we thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Emmett. We now welcome on a very, very special guest, former Testudo Times writer and podcaster, and now the voice of Maryland baseball, Matt Levine. Matt, it's good to be back podcasting with you. Oh, it's always a pleasure, guys. I'm glad you can bring me back on. Great right. chemistry with the boys here. So always. we're going to get into the entire baseball season and what a phenomenal, historic season has been so far. They just won their 36th game today, which ties the program record for wins. Um, and Maryland baseball has just been phenomenal throughout the entire year. First, before we get to anything... You were on the call this past Friday night during Ryan Ramsey's perfect game. The second perfect game in Maryland baseball history. I believe the 33rd in college baseball history. What was it like watching that, Watching history right there? That was probably the most surreal moment I've ever had doing what I love to do, which is call games. Um, in any sport, really. And I've had, I've had a lot of really big moments this entire year. Uh, I was joking with a couple of my friends that I call games with, Mark McClure and, and Ben Curtis, that this whole year kind of feels like all four combined into one because of how much we lost and how many games we couldn't call. But then if you go back and look at like all the things I've done this year where I got to call the bowl-clinching game for Maryland football, I called the pinstripe bowl, I called the Big Ten tournament game in Indianapolis for men's basketball, and then I called a perfect game for Maryland baseball, and I don't even think that's going to be the most special thing that this team does. So to be able to do that, I mean, there's that was the 20th nine-inning perfect game in college baseball ever, and to say that I was a part of it in a very, very small way is something that I'll remember forever. It was probably the most surreal thing ever. So let's just talk about so some reminiscing there from that as he graduated, as graduation's coming up. Um, so, but so let's just talk about the game Friday night and just, like, Ramsey obviously has been phenomenal all year, and Rob Vaughn was the first game that he made the – pitching switch to have Ramsey start the series and pitch that Friday night game. He hadn't done that all year. Obviously that decision paid off, but what went into that decision and just what'd you see from Ramsey delivering on Friday night? Yeah, I think, I think this has been a, a long time coming to switch up the rotation. Ramsey's been the best guy all season and you, you can argue Jason Savickle has too, but Ramsey's eight and zero now he's atop the big 10 and everything pitching wise. Um, but, but when you're seven and zero, and you really are, they they don't lose when he pitches. Like rarely they lose, um, and it's never it's never been his fault. Obviously he's he's eight and zero, perfect record. So to move him up to a Friday, be the Friday night guy, like he's been the best guy. So he he deserves to go on Fridays. And, and Nick Dean, who missed a start due to some forearm strain and tightness, he never really got back to that elite level Nick Dean that we saw. He's been good, but then he gave up ten combined runs in his last two starts before this weekend. So. To switch that rotation up, let Dean see the lineup two games before he pitches, get some of that confidence back. And he's still a confident player. Like He, he went out there on Sunday and, and pitched the way that we expect him to. Five innings, one hit, and no runs allowed, Nick Dean did. So this whole decision, I think it, it was a long time coming to where Ramsey's been the best guy, let him go on Friday nights, win the game, Savakul on Saturday. Like, I don't I, – I don't know if there's a better weekend rotation out there. And when you go into a regional, you're talking four or five games that you have to play. If you start 3-0, there's there's a lot that can happen and a lot of games you'll win because of that pitching staff. Absolutely, and, and kind of just with those three guys being so dangerous, um, even with the change, I mean, Nick Dean has showed what he can do. He did it in Waco against Baylor. Obviously, you were down there in the, the opening series. But I wanted to shift focus, obviously, fresh off this huge win over Georgetown today. To the midweek pitchers and the midweek guys, which haven't really stuck around. I know Logan Ott, uh, Van Buren, Johnson, a, a bunch of different guys that have kind of got their crack at it. And, and pitching depth is going to be huge in a regional-type series. 
But today, uh, being or Tuesday, excuse me, being the most encouraging performance yet against Georgetown, only allowing those three hits with none of your main guys on the mound. One, how encouraging in that is that, and two, how have you kind of seen that midweek pitching staff develop over the season? So the entire season, it's been who's going to be that guy, who's going to separate themselves to be the midweek starter. But I don't think that they need necessarily a starter because they've gone with they've been going with these bullpen games where. The starter will go an inning or two, the next guy will go an inning or two, and then it's been Logan Ott going three, four, usually in the middle of the game, in the middle relief role. But looking at the game from Tuesday against Georgetown, one run allowed on just three hits from the entire, basically, bullpen pitching. Aside from Logan Ott, who usually starts, or Johnson started a couple, it was Nick Robinson getting his first start, but he's been a bullpen guy. You're getting basically an opener, which is what we call it in baseball. You know, you get the reliever to pitch. Everybody else after that gets an inning pretty much. They use seven pitchers, one run on three hits allowed. Uh, and I think that kind of gets overshadowed by the fact that the offense scored 19 runs. So when you, when you have a, a pitching staff that's going to combine to do that, it's almost somewhat more impressive than one guy going out there and doing that one run on three hits. To have seven guys be able to combine for that is just massive especially going into this weekend series against Rutgers, which is going to be the biggest series probably ever in Big Ten play for Maryland. Um, but to have your arms fresh, no one threw, I don't think, over 40 pitches in that game. Um, the, the longest outing was for Ott. He went three innings. So to, to say that you have your basically locked and loaded full bullpen going into the series against Rutgers, that's big. But if you look past that Big Ten tournament, regional, super regional, college world series, who knows where this team's going to end up. But if you can have a guy like Logan Ott come in, throw three innings strong out of the bullpen, that's what he usually does. It's either three or four strong, then he starts to tail off at the end. And Rob Vaughn made a great decision to pull him after the three innings against Georgetown because he was phenomenal, just one hit, two strikeouts, no walks, no runs. You're not going to get much better where you can have Ramsey maybe go seven and then Ott goes for two. Or let's say one of them struggles in a regional. And... Ott comes in out of the bullpen and throws four scoreless. Like, that can easily happen. And we've talked about this. I talked about it with Maryland's SID, Matt Gilpin. Like, Logan Ott can win you a regional because of how he can pitch out of the bullpen. So, I mean, it it needs to be top to bottom, every single one contributing. But when you didn't have David Falco pitch, you didn't have Sean Hine pitch, like, those are the main guys. If they don't come in in this game against Georgetown, you're locked and loaded going to Rutgers. All right, so we talked about the pitching, starting pitching, some of the bullpen questions, but obviously Matt gave you a lot of answers there about that. Um, let's talk about the lineup. I mean, they have a phenomenal, deep hitting lineup. Obviously, Chris Aline, who came back as a fifth year after last season, he leads the entire Big Ten in home runs. Maxwell Costas, uh, Matt Shaw, Luke Schlager, Nick LaRusso, you go down the list. Like, What makes this lineup so special where they just pour on runs game after game? I think going back to like the last three years I've been here calling games, there's been guys where you're saying, okay, probably an automatic out. And they start because of their glove, and there's nobody else to, to hit. But this year, top to bottom, every part of the order is a tough out for a pitcher to get. When when someone comes in and they're facing 7-8-9 in Maryland's order, that could be the best 7-8-9 in the Big Ten, maybe even the country. Um, to have a guy in your 8-9 or nine hole like Kevin Keister batting just shy of 330 right now, and he's having an ins- absolutely insane year for what it's worth. The guy had four hits last year, and he has over 40 hits already through 36 games played. So the jump that a bunch of these guys have made is insane to, to really think about. Um, but when you bring a veteran guy back like Chris Aline, who's the heart and soul of the team arguably the last three or four years, Maxwell Costas, a veteran guy, a senior, both of them are one and two in the conference in homers. They're up there in walks and RBIs and on base percentage and everything you can name. Um, but then you add in that that jump of Luke Schlager making a sophomore year jump. And usually it's a sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. But he's been probably the best on the team right now. And he's leading the team in hitting. Bats lead off for a catcher. He's just a weapon. Uh, there's not many five-tool catchers out there. He's one of them. Troy Schreffler Jr. has made a jump in his third year a sensational player who could be in the Big Ten player of the year conversation when it's all said and done. Um, Bobby's Marslack, he's been solid, and he's really picked it up in Big Ten play. And then Matt Shaw, who started the year off as literally Ted Williams. Like, that was the joke going into the second series against Campbell, <laughs> that this guy's the best player that Maryland's ever seen. And then he struggled for a long time, a couple of weeks where he really couldn't figure out how to hit. 
Um, not many results, but then he made an adjustment right around spring break before Dallas Baptist. Made an adjustment quick with Matt Swope. Took like three minutes, they told me. And ever since then, he's had a hit in nearly every game since the middle of March. So the turnaround that all these guys have had from last year to this year or just staying the same and even improving then, like Aline has improved, Costas has improved, Shaw is getting back to that. It's top to bottom. And I still haven't mentioned Nick LaRusso, a transfer from Villanova, who started a third in every game, and he's the three-hitter at a Big Ten school now. He's also a Big Ten player of the year conversation player. So it's it's really just exciting to see the lineup produce the way it does uh, against Georgetown, it was the 16th time this year they've scored in double figures through 45 games. And when when you're calling these games, they score 14 runs, and I start to bring up football terms. I say they're up a touchdown on Georgetown yeah. right now. Like, th- there's just so much it can do, It's and it's really never one guy. There's nine guys in that order that can contribute or go off in any game. And when one doesn't, the other eight pick up the slack for him. And I wanted to ask, since you've kind of been around the team since your freshman year, obviously now being a senior, the voice of the team, getting to know Matt Swope, Rob Vaughn, the coaching staff, all the players, what is it about the culture of Maryland baseball that's kind of turned it into when they take the field, you expect them to win more often than not? It seems like they've set a new standard here in 2022 and have really built off that postseason appearance from last year and turned it into something tangible and and hopefully sustainable for the program well I think the first thing that Maryland did right was bringing in Mike Morrison at pitching coach this year Uh, Corey Muscaro left for a job at Wake Forest in the same position as the pitching coach you bring in Morrison a guy that won the college world series at Coastal Carolina literally six years ago played three years in minor league ball and then he comes to coach his first job as a volunteer assistant the pitching coach at Maryland and the way that they hired him was that Vaughn and him met when uh, Vaughn went to vacation with his son, they happened to be in the same area. They met up, thought it was going to be maybe an hour. They ended up being there all day together. And Vaughn knew right away, walking out of that, that that was the guy. Uh, the way that he commands a room as a pitching coach, like there's not, I don't think there's many guys I've been around that have the personality that he does. And just the way that the players go out there and want to win for him is one thing, but it goes past that where it's, all four coaches have played. They went through this. Swope and Papio both played at Maryland. Papio is one of the best ever to play here. Uh, went to two Super Regionals in 14 and 15. And he played with all the big leaguers that we talk about all the time. Brandon Lau, Lamont Wade, Kevin Smith. So they've been through it. And I think that's a big thing. It's guys that know what the players are going through are the coaches now. So when you're sending them out there every single day, they know what they're going through. They know what the grind is like every day. And that's just a relatable thing that the players can have with their coaching staff. Another thing is that they're all young. Rob Vaughn's 34 years old. He's the youngest head coach in the Power Five. Swope is 40. He's the oldest coach on the staff. And Morrison and Papio are in their late 20s. So it's just there's a certain level of just wanting to win for the coaches in a way that I don't don't think I saw it the last few years, the fight that these guys have because they want to win for Rob Vaughn and they want to win for Swope and there's just there's a different level like you mentioned the culture and I, I I've been around different teams and things like that but it's it's not it's not just you know your best player gets all the love like today James Hefley hit his first career home run and the dugout absolutely flooded him and one thing that stuck out to me the last couple of day, days and my dad pointed this out to me after the perfect game the coaches never went on the field to celebrate. They let the guys go out there. <laughs> they let the guys go out there and dogpile. And once Ramsey was done, he got a hug and, and he got a big old kiss on the head from Mike Morrison and Vaughn. Uh, today, when Hefley hit his first home run, I was looking out for that. And nobody went. O- none of the coaches went over to him until the players were done celebrating with each other. That's the biggest thing is separating that kind of relationship. But knowing that they're always there, right behind you, rooting you on. They're so happy for you when you succeed. And they're going to get on you when you don't, but they're going to make you better every single day. And the way that they treat me as a broadcaster or literally anyone, the director of ops, student managers, the best player on the team, it's the same exact thing, the way they go about their business every day. Yeah, to both you guys' point, I mean, you obviously talked about how young 
Rob Bond is, and I saw he had an interview a few weeks ago, like talking about referencing Sean McVay, who obviously was a very young, um, young football coach, and he's had a lot of success. But he, Rob Bond talked about his first year; he was a horrible coach. You know, he made so many bad decisions, but he learned from them. And you know, if you've spent time around him, and obviously Matt, you've spent more time than most people on the outside around him. But it's so easy to see why the players buy into what he say says, why the players love him, and it's easy to see why he's built this phenomenal culture. And that's really the program that he's really turned around, and and the sky the limit for it but all right let's let's talk about a few few more things in the future you mentioned this Rutgers series um that's coming up this weekend a three-game uh, Big Ten weekend series is gonna be on the road at Rutgers why is this series so important and what could it mean for the Big Ten standings and the Big Team Big Ten postseason play with only three more weekend series to go before postseason kicks off well Rutgers just got demolished by Seton Hall today so that's that's big for the overall record that doesn't help in the conference standings uh, going into this weekend, Maryland's chasing Rutgers by two and a half games. If Maryland sweeps, they're in first place. They're probably not going to let that go. Uh, this is this is the biggest series ever probably in Big Ten play for Maryland. When they joined in 2015, they were obviously really good. But in terms of what this series means about getting to win the Big Ten for the first time and going into the Big Ten tournament as the number one seed, it's tremendous. And especially a team like Rutgers where – there is a lot of off-the-field connections there, too, where their coach, Steve Owens, he was, uh, he was from uh, one of the schools up in the, in the NEC. Uh, at Bryant, I'm sorry, I forgot where he coached. He coached at Bryant for several years, turned that program around, and then came to Rutgers. He's turning Rutgers' program around. Like it's similar to the way Rob Vaughn came in and turned Maryland around almost. So that's a similar, similarity there. Uh, you had Richie Sheikoffer play at Maryland his freshman year, came in with a guy like Chris Aline and all of them, and, and now he's at Rutgers for the last few years. So that's another familiar face, and you want to go and beat your old teammate. And Sam Bello played at Maryland for two years. He just transferred to Rutgers this offseason. Yep. Uh, that's another one where you know the guys are going to go out there, and if they face against Bello, they're going to want to hit the ball as probably as hard as they can. But how do you mellow out the m- emotions of playing against your former teammate and and your friend and things like that, they're going to have to find that and, and find some success against them. Uh, but I think the target, even though Rutgers is in first place right now, I think the target is still on Maryland's back. Uh, they're the number 18 team in the country, and Rutgers is not ranked. You can look at it however you want. I think Maryland knows that they're better. I think Maryland's going into this series with the most confidence and more confidence than Rutgers is. But Whichever team wins this series is probably going to win the regular season. And that needs to be a sweep, most likely, for Maryland to take first place and then never give it back because then they'll, they'll have no midweek game. They'll rest up, host Michigan. Then you play James Madison and then three at Purdue to close out the regular season. And then it's Big Ten tournament time. If you don't win the regular season, it's not the worst thing in the world. You could still win the Big Ten tournament. But, you know, this team... They want that regular season title. They want the tournament title. They want to win a regional. They want to win a super regional. And they want to win the college world series. So, yeah, they're gonna want. Scott. They're gonna try to go out there and, and really give it to Rutgers this weekend. You just broke down all their goals, and the last thing, obviously, to win all those those tournaments. Last question for me is, um, what's this team's ceiling? Last year, they it was they only played Big Ten competition. They didn't have a Big Ten tournament. They made a regional. They didn't make it past the regional. This team is now going to have the most regular season wins in school history, in program history. By far, they tied it today with 10 games left, so they're going to they're kill that that record. They should at least. They're 36-9 right now. You know, we're going to have the Big Ten tournament. They're going to make a regional. What is this team ceiling? How far, realistically, do you see them going? I don't want to jinx it, but I will say that I think this team has the makings to be in the College Road Series and be one of the eight best teams in college baseball. Um, 18 right now in the D1 baseball top 25. That could easily be a team that hosts a regional. They're two spots out of that right now. The, f- the first 16 seeds host a regional. Whether it's that or they're a high number two, they can easily win a regional. They went to a regional final last year when they probably didn't deserve to as a three seed. And they wa- they almost beat ECU in that game and forced the second final. But to turn it around this quickly, you mentioned it, tie the regular season mark for most wins. They're going to beat that if they win one more game. And there's 10 left. You'd assume that they're going to win one more game. Um, and then the, the, the overall record for most wins in a season, including the postseason, is 42. I believe that was from either 2014 or it was from 2015. 42 and 24. 
was their best record all time in 2015. They went to a Super Regional. That's six more wins. And you have ten regular season games, then the Big Ten Tournament, and then the NCAA Tournament. They're on pace for their best record ever by far. Could shatter it. And they could shatter it easily if they could continue to advance through the postseason. But I think it's all going to come down to how the bullpen pitches and how the starters outside of Ramsey, Savical, and Dean pitch because the offense is never going to shy away from anybody. If they're getting pitches thrown in the zone, they're going to attack and they're going to hit the ball. Uh, Maryland hits a ton of home runs. They lead in the Big Ten by more than 20 uh, over Rutgers right now in the top spot. So they're going to score runs. They're going to win a lot of games that way. But if they can pitch out of the bullpen well, they're probably not going to lose a lot the rest of the way, the same way they haven't already. But to look back now, 45 games in, 36-9. and nine, Opening day was February 18th. Like That's almost three months ago. This this season feels like 10 years, but also 10 minutes at the same time. And it's a magical one. And and another thing is, like, you have a perfect game in there. You have a couple of guys that have had six RBI games. These are record-breaking performances. They scored 26 runs in a game earlier this year. There's something special to that that makes a run later on in the year. Like, you'll look back at those games and be like, that, that this team has been special all year. We, we knew all along, and I think that's that's the culture, that's the, the mindset around the group right now is that the ceiling is, is being the best in the country. And it's certainly a grind, like you mentioned, and you mentioned all those lofty goals. My final question is, you know, with the series at Rutgers, nothing in the midweek next week, Michigan at home, James Madison in the midweek, and then ending at Purdue. Between those final games and the Big Ten tournament, what needs to happen for Maryland to put themselves in the driver's seat to potentially host a regional and therefore, you know, get that path to make a Super Regional, make a College World Series? I think if they win the regular season and they win two or three Big Ten tournament games, uh, you're probably in in a good good place to host. Um, If they win the Big Ten tournament, I would say that they're probably a lock for that, a top 16. Because winning the Big Ten Tournament is hard. There's eight teams that make it. You have to. It's double elimination. So basically you're going from Wednesday to Sunday uh, to win it. And that's something that they've never even like been close to in program history. Uh, there was no Big Ten Tournament last year. There was no Big Ten Tournament in 2020. Rob Vaughn's only been the head coach in one Big Ten Tournament because they didn't make it in 2018. So 2019 was the only time he's coached in that. Can they go in and win that in his second time ever doing like trying to do it? It's it's possible with this group, but as far as the regular season goes, if you win the series at Rutgers, you win the series against Michigan, and you win the series against Purdue, that means you've won all your Big Ten series this year, which I don't know if that's ever been done. So It's never been done at Maryland. I don't know if that's ever been done in in general, um, which would be just so impressive. You'd probably be a one or two going into the tournament, and you'll probably end up seeing Rutgers again maybe. So I think – it's uh, it's a lot higher of a possibility than people think for them to host a regional. Matt Levine, he's a Maryland baseball encyclopedia. Um, we appreciate you doing this. You can catch him on Maryland Baseball Network, the, all the broadcasts throughout the postseason, however far this team, this special group can go. We'll find out soon. But Matt Levine, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And all right, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, this is our spring sports update, and we'll talk to you sometime in the next few weeks when the transfer portal uh, settles down with basketball and we'll be back and with another episode. Thanks everybody.